Genesis and Revelation are two of the most abused books in the Bible. They have been spiritualized by interpreters into meaning anything except what they plainly state. So, what about it? Are Genesis and Revelation to be interpreted literally, or should they be dismissed as poetry that contains no literal meaning? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Folks, I have been preaching God's Word for over 30 years, and during that time I have become increasingly incensed over the way so many Christians insist on spiritualizing what the Bible says in Genesis and Revelation about the beginning and the ending of human history. I recently decided to take the bull by the horns by preparing a hard-hitting presentation called The Beginning and the Ending. Here now is a portion of that presentation. Let's get started by taking a look at the words that begin the Bible and end the Bible. The Bible begins with these words. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible ends with these words. He, Jesus, who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible begins with a revelation. The Bible ends with a promise. And I want to ask you something. Do you believe these words? Do you truly believe them with all your heart without any reservation whatsoever? And I want to tell you this. If you do, you are an exception to the norm. For the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of all Christians, both Catholic and Protestant and even Evangelicals, do not accept the plain meaning of these verses. The reason is that the beginning and the ending of the Bible are the two most abused areas of God's Word. And that's because they have been spiritualized into meaninglessness. Now for those of you who may not be familiar with that particular term, let me tell you that it means to argue that the plain sense meaning of Scripture is not its true meaning, that it always means something else. I want to give you a classic example of spiritualization taken from the writings of this man, a renowned theologian of the 20th century by the name of Lorraine Bettner. And it has to do with his interpretation of Zechariah 14 verses 1 through 9. Now those of you who are familiar with this very famous prophetic passage know that what it says. In those nine verses it says that in the end times the city of Jerusalem will be surrounded by enemy forces, which I assume will be the Antichrist and his forces. It says that as Jerusalem is about to fall, that the Lord will come back in glory and majesty to the Mount of Olives. It says that when His feet touch that mountain it will split in half. And it says on that day Jesus will become King over all the earth. Just as simple as it can be, any ten-year-old can understand it. But in his commentary on this passage, Lorraine Bettner completely and totally spiritualized it. Here's what he said it meant. 
He said, first of all, the Mount of Olives stands for the human heart, not the Mount of Olives. He said that the enemy forces around Jerusalem and around the Mount of Olives stands for the evil forces in the world that are attacking the human heart. He said the return of the Lord there is simply personal salvation. What happens when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And thus his conclusion was that when Jesus comes into a person's heart, the heart splits in contrition, and all the evil forces in the person's life are defeated, and Jesus becomes king of that person's heart. Now I want to tell you something. That's what I call a great exercise in imagination. It just makes the passage meaninglessness. I personally know a lot about spiritualization because I grew up in a church that specialized in this perversion of Scripture. And I'll give you an example. Let's go back to this passage, Zechariah 14, 1 through 9, and let me tell you about it. In the church that I grew up in, it was amillennial. Did not believe that there would ever be a millennial reign of Jesus on the earth. The only sermons I ever heard about Bible prophecy always emphasized one statement over and over and over. And that statement was this. There is not one verse in the Bible that even implies that Jesus will ever put His feet on this earth again. I heard that over and over and over. When I was about 12 years old, I was flipping through the Bible one day. We never studied the Old Testament. I just flipping through it. Came to Zechariah 14, read those first nine verses. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was only 12 years old, but I can understand that. So, it just was so clear. Jesus is coming back to the Mount of Olives. When His feet touch the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in half. And it was just so clear. So, in fear and trembling, I went to my pastor and I showed him the passage. And I said, what does this mean? I don't think he'd ever read it. He sat there and he read it and he read it and he read it. I thought he was never going to say anything. Finally, he stuck his finger in my face and he said, young man, I want to tell you something. I do not know what this means, but I will guarantee you one thing, it does not mean what it says. <laughs> that was my introduction to spiritualization. I want to tell you something, people love to spiritualize Scripture. They love to. Because when they do, they can make the Bible say whatever they want it to say, and guess what? They become God. Most professing Christians today are members of churches whose leaders use spiritualization to play games fast and loose with the beginning of the Bible and the ending of the Bible. The preaching and teaching that most Christians today hear is based upon spiritualization, and guess what? It converts the opening of the Bible into a mythical story, and it converts the end of the Bible into mythical promises. Regarding the origins of our planet and life, the Bible clearly reveals that both were created by God about 6,000 years ago. Christendom never had any problem with this until about the 19th century. All the scientists before that time, even the man acknowledged to be the greatest scientist who ever lived, Sir Isaac Newton, believed the biblical story and affirmed it in all their writings. But in the 19th century, Scientists began to challenge the biblical story, reaching its culmination with Darwin's theory of evolution. As the 20th century began, the Bible was on the defensive, and the battle came to a climax in 1925 with the Scopes trial, 
when William Jennings Bryan tried to defend the biblical view of creation, while Clarence Darrow mocked and scoffed and ridiculed. In response to these relentless attacks of scientists, Christian theologians began to run for cover. They began to try to make the biblical story line up with the claim of the scientists that the universe is billions of years old and that all life evolved haphazardly from a single source. This was accomplished primarily in one of two ways or a combination of both. First was the day-age theory, the idea that each day of Genesis represented a million or more years. The second way was the gap theory. According to this particular idea, there is a gap between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis. And the idea here is the different versions of this gap theory. But the idea here is that God originally created the cosmos. And then after He created it, Satan fell. Satan came to earth. The whole cosmos was thrown into absolute waste and confusion. And it existed in that terrible state for some millions or billions of years until God finally decided to bring order out of the chaos in which He did the second creation that we read about of the six days. Some who subscribe to the gap theory believe that the recreation process took only six days. But most would contend that the days were millions of years. And thus, most Christians today take the day-age theory, add the gap theory, and come up with a span of time that is literally billions and billions of years trying desperately to make the biblical story correspond to scientific theory. Today the gap theory or some version of it is held by most Christians, even evangelicals. Many believe that God intervened at some point in those billions of years and created man. Many, if not most, believe in theistic evolution. In other words, they believe that God created all life, but that it emerged over a long period of time through a process of guided evolution. When challenged to simply believe the story of the Bible, what happens is they respond with scoffing. And I've had some experiences with this. The first time I experienced it, I'll never forget, it was so shocking. It's about 1982. We started this ministry in 1980. It was in about 1982, I went to a church in northern Oklahoma. And they asked me to teach the combined adult Sunday school classes in addition to preaching that morning. So I was preaching a Sunday school, uh, teaching a Sunday school class on uh, something about Bible prophecy. I don't remember what. And, and in the middle of the lesson, just offhand, I, it wasn't some point I was trying to make. I just made an offhand comment. And the offhand comment was that I just couldn't understand why people couldn't accept the Genesis story of creation to mean what it says that God created all life and the universe supernaturally 6,000 years ago. When I said that, an explosion occurred. There was a man in the class who jumped up and he began to scream at the top of his voice. Scared me to death. The man said, I can't believe that you believe such nonsense. He said, it's ignorant people like you who make Christians look like fools. And he turned around and stomped out of the class. Well, here's another example of what I'm talking about. In 2009, we aired a series of programs with Dr. Job Martin. Now, many of you know him. He was one of our speakers last year. He's a wonderful man of God, a scientifically trained man. (laughs) 
You remember his story last year? He was a professor at Baylor, Baylor Dental School, and he got up and started teaching kids that teeth originated, evolved from fish scales. And there was a girl in the class that came up afterwards and said, I'd like to challenge you on that. And he said, I've got an open mind. And next thing he knew, he had become a believer in creation because she used the Word of God to convict him. And he devoted his life since then to a creation ministry. Well, we interviewed him on TV. And in one of those interviews, there were four interviews in all, in one of the interviews we talked about the age of the earth. And he confirmed his belief and all of the reasons why he believed the earth was created 6,000 years ago supernaturally by God. Well, I got this letter. This letter came from a Christian believer in Latvia. He watched the program on one of our international satellites. And Latvia is one of the former Russian Baltic republics. Listen to what he says in the letter. Is the cause of Christ really advanced by having on your show a wild-eyed fanatic who cannot comprehend the concept of proof? Possibly we are not talking about the same Creator. My Lord cannot lie. Thus, He cannot create an old-looking earth to deceive modern man. Satan's best troops in the battle today to stymie the growth of Christianity are you young earth advocates. There are hundreds of reasons that speak of earth's age, but the well-meaning fools like you refuse to learn science before they argue against it. Dear sir, Preach what you will, but do not do it in the name of Christianity. Do not make my Lord a deceiver and Christians an uneducated lot. Unless you think these are isolated examples. Let me point out that a group of evangelicals have just formed an organization called the BioLogos Foundation. The defined purpose of this organization is to convince Christians, quote, that the process of evolution is a tenable biblical position and is the best Christian apologetic to defend Genesis 1 through 3 against its critics. This group has actually taken the position that if Christians do not accept the theory of evolution, the church will soon die off because it will be rejected as, quote, an insignificant cult. The relevance of what I'm sharing with you was impressed upon me yesterday afternoon. Found out I couldn't check in until 3 o'clock, so I sat down at the computer at home and started doing some surfing. And lo and behold, I ran across the latest edition of Christianity Today. I don't know how familiar you are with that magazine. It was founded in 1956 by Billy Graham to espouse and defend biblical truths. But if you know anything about it, you know that over the past 20 years it has become increasingly liberal till it's about as liberal as you can get today. And yet they claim still to be evangelicals. Here is the latest edition that came out yesterday. Christianity Today, a picture of a Neanderthal looking man on the cover and the title is The Search for the Historical Adam. And the main article theorizes that Adam was really a mythical character and that men evolved from lower life. It is, in fact, a shameless apologetic for theistic evolution. Let's consider for a moment some of the key questions that are always posed by those who scoff at the Genesis account of creation. Number one, how do you account for the apparent age of the earth? Number two, 
How do you explain the fossil records? Number three, how do you explain the fact that light from distant stars is reaching us, light that would have taken millions of years to arrive? Number four, how do you explain the complexity of life without millions of years for it to develop? On and on the questions go. From a secular viewpoint, the questions appear to present an invincible argument against the biblical story. But from a faith viewpoint, they do not present insurmountable problems. That's because all of these questions, all of them, can be answered by one simple observation. Special creation always carries with it the impression of age. I want you to think about that. Special creation always carries with it the impression of age. So, if I were to create a full-grown tree like that, if I had the power of God to speak a tree into existence, and then I revealed it to you, you would argue all day long if it was 10 to 15 years old. If I were to create a full-grown man instantly and then introduce him to you and ask you to guess his age, you would probably say he was at least 18 years old. And if I told you he was one minute old, you would say I was nuts. In both cases, there would be an appearance of age, but it would be an illusion. Another factor to consider is that the earth looks old because it is in bondage to decay. You see, the original earth was created perfect, and the Bible indicates that it was encased in a thick vapor canopy and that there was lush vegetation all over the earth. That's why they find dinosaurs at the North Pole and the South Pole with vegetation in their stomachs. But that earth was spoiled by the sin of man. When Adam and Eve rebelled, God responded by putting a curse on the earth, and all of creation was put in bondage to decay. And if you don't believe that, just go back to your room and look in the mirror. We're in bondage to decay. That second earth was then further radically changed, radically changed by the Noahic flood that suddenly created the continents, the great mountains, and the chasms. Consider, for example, Grand Canyon appears to have developed as a result of millions of years of erosion. But we now know from the Mount St. Helens explosion in 1980 that such canyons can be created literally overnight. They do not require eons of time. But let's get back to the basic issue. The Bible teaches that God is omnipotent. He could therefore have created the whole universe in the twinkling of an eye. God does not need time. Time is the God of evolutionists. God does not need time. He chose instead to create the universe and all of life in it in six days because the Bible says He gave that to us as a model for life, namely that six days of labor should be followed by a day of rest. Let's return now to those questions of the skeptics. How do you account for the apparent age of the earth? Answer, the apparent age is just that. It is apparent and not real. Again, the original earth looked old the day it was created. And that appearance of age has been accelerated by the curse of God which put the whole universe in bondage to decay. Nor is it dishonest of God to create an earth that looks old. Again, the appearance of age is a corollary of special creation. Furthermore, God has clearly told us how He created in His Word. How can he be accused of deception when he has told us how he did it? Number two, how do you explain the fossil record? The answer is very simple. 
The fossil record is not a record of age. It is the record of an historic event, the Noahic flood. The entire fossil record was laid down in this great catastrophic event. Number three, how do you explain the light of distant stars reaching the earth? Answer, God created the light of the stars already reaching the earth. Therefore, what we observe today through a telescope is what has been happening to those particular creations since 6,000 years ago when they were created, no matter how far away they are, because the light was created reaching us. How do you explain the complexity of life? without millions of years for it to develop. Answer, God does not need time for special creation. Thus, when Jesus converted water into wine at the marriage feast in Canaan, He did so instantly, proving that He was the God of time. With God, there is no need for time. To try to solve the contradiction between scientific theory and the biblical story by using the gap theory or the age theory is an admission that God needs time when He does not need it. Incidentally, one problem with the gap theory is that it appears to contradict a statement in Scripture. Look at this statement in Isaiah 45:18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And both the gap theory and the day-age theory contradict the fundamental teaching of the Bible that death did not exist before Adam and Eve. You see, if you believe in the gap theory or the day-age theory, then you believe that there was life long before Adam and Eve. There was life and death that that fossil record was laid down over billions of years, and there was constant life and death and survival of the fittest long before man came on the scene. But the Bible says death was the result of sin. So these concepts directly contradict what the Bible has to say on this. The whole theory of evolution is the greatest fairy tale ever concocted by the depraved mind of man. The complexity of both the universe and life attests to intelligent design and the necessity of a creator, as Dr. Morris pointed out today. And as he pointed out, he stole my, my example, I've all my life I've wanted to go one place. And the board of trustees on the, for our 50th wedding anniversary present gave us a free trip to South Dakota so I could go see the place I wanted to see since I was in junior high school. I went up there and I saw it with my own eyes and I took this picture of Mount Rushmore. And as I stood there I thought, wow, isn't it amazing what can happen accidentally as a result of erosion. (laughs) Now I want to tell you something, folks. Anybody who stood in front of this and said that would be written off by a scientist as an absolutely, totally insane person. And yet that same scientist will turn around and argue that both the universe and life evolved accidentally. It is no wonder that Ray Comfort wrote a book entitled, You Can Lead an Atheist to Evidence, But You Can't Make Him Think. Take, for example, a theory that the creation of the universe began billions of years ago with a Big Bang. This theory is based on supposed evidence that the universe is expanding. But the Bible has an explanation for this. 
Eleven times we are told in the scriptures that God stretched out the heavens from the point of creation. Here is one example from Isaiah 42, 5. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. If the universe truly is expanding, then it is most likely leftover momentum from God stretching out the heavens. The whole idea of the universe originating from a Big Bang explosion is absolutely preposterous. Let me ask you a simple question. How many explosions have you ever witnessed or heard of that produced order instead of chaos? <laughs> Come on, folks. And how many explosions have ever occurred from nothing? Nothing exploding? I was sitting there the other day thinking about that, and so help me, as I was thinking about it, I was clicking on the Internet, and I ran across this poster. Big Bang Theory. In the beginning, there was nothing which exploded. <laughs> the whole idea of the universe and life originating from an explosion is as absurd as thinking as some evolutionists have postulated that if you would only give 10,000 monkeys enough time, they would eventually produce the entire works of Shakespeare by randomly tapping the keys of a typewriter. I told you, their God is time. Just give us enough time. And concerning the theory of evolution, that's it. It is just a theory, as John Morris pointed out so brilliantly today. The scientific method requires observation. No scientists were present to observe the creation of the universe or life. The only person who was present has revealed to us in his word how it happened. The reality is that the advocates of the theory of evolution have been running for cover ever since the discovery of DNA and its incredible complexity. So much so that Richard Dawkins, one of the world's leading evolutionists, recently said he was giving up on evolution. He said uh, he had come to the conclusion that life came here either floating on crystals through space or was planted here by aliens. This is one of the world's leading scientists, folks. The bottom line, as John Morris pointed out so beautifully today, is that these so-called scientists are unwilling to admit the existence of a Creator God because they don't want anyone to be responsible to. The Bible sums it up best. In the Old Testament it says, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. In the New Testament even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, but they became futile in their speculations, professing to be wise. They became fools. Next week, the Lord willing, we will present the rest of this presentation as it relates to the book of Revelation and end-time prophecy. I hope you'll be back with us at that time. Until then, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. If you would like to get a video copy of Dr. Reagan's entire presentation titled, The Beginning and the Ending, for a donation of $20 or more, that includes the cost of shipping. Just call the number on the screen and place your call Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or you can place your order through our website at lamblion.com. The presentation runs one hour in length and is fully illustrated with PowerPoint slides from beginning to end. This is a very important presentation that you need to share with Sunday school classes and home Bible study groups. The message will challenge all viewers to take God's Word for its plain sense meaning from the beginning of the Bible to the end 
And as such, it will build confidence that the Bible truly is the Word of God and is totally reliable in all that it says. Again, just call the number you see on the screen and ask for the presentation by name, the beginning and the ending. Or you can place your request through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 